Please join me in prayer. Spirit of the living God, guide us now. Open our minds and our hearts for what you have for us this day. Amen. When I was very young, I clearly remember our family driving up to a huge home in Pasadena, California, where an unknown woman answered the door and invited our family into the parlor, a word I didn't understand. She said she would go and find my Aunt Mary. No one was around as we stiffly sat on formal furniture while the woman climbed the stairway with the ornate wooden newel post, heavy railing, and fancy balusters. It was some 30 years later that I had an aha moment when I discovered that it had been a home for unwed mothers. It finally became clear to me why my beloved Aunt Mary was there by herself without Grandma or any other family members and why she didn't go home with us when we left. I have no idea what story was told about my aunt's sudden disappearance at the age of 16. Shame has a way of creating family secrets that can twist and distort family history. That story was never told. Perhaps it is out of this piece of history within my own life that I latched onto the phrase in our text that says, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. When a story like the nativity has become so sanitized, it is difficult to get underneath the story and experience the full drama of the cultural rules and norms that have been broken. It's hard to comprehend just how radical this story was and is. When I was a pastor in Minnesota, there was a member of the congregation by the name of Jody, upon whom we offered our blessings as she left Minnesota and headed for Berkeley for seminary. When it came time for her seminary internship, she ended up serving a church in Walnut Creek located in the East Bay. As I fully expected, Jody was well received. However, something shifted when she became a part of the worship committee. As the committee brainstormed their ideas for wanting decorations that would fit the biblical story, they decided to take a different approach in order to make the Advent text live. Upon entering the sanctuary, the chancel had been transformed. There was none of the usual green swags and wreaths with purple bows. In their place, there had been constructed a homeless shelter. There were scraps of wood and tin that was covered with a blue tarp. Underneath the shelter were two sleeping bags, 
Outside, shoved against the shelter, was a shopping cart. There was graffiti on scraps of wood and metal, and trash was scattered around. Leaning against the shelter was a sign painted in neon orange with the words, we'll work for food. On a galvanized trash barrel, the advent candles had been placed in old tin cans that had previously held peas and Campbell's soup. The community, although surprised, were delighted with the creativity. What the congregation was not prepared for was finding the same setting in their sanctuary the second Sunday of Advent. The wreaths and the greens were still not up. Clearly, the first Sunday had been enough. There was so much angst that the adult education hour agenda was canceled to talk about this new edgy Advent. A meeting was called. People were unanimous in their appreciation for Jody, and they knew they needed to be open to new experiences. However, they wanted the familiar. They didn't want the raw version of the story. They wanted the cleaned up pretty story. They longed for their traditions. They counted on seeing the greens, the candles, and the swags. The pastor discerned that the worship committee would move ahead with their plans and that the edgy advent would not be aborted. And each week I received a distressed Jody message. She wanted support. She wanted me to assure her that she hadn't messed up her future. On the third Sunday of Advent, a Christmas tree was added, and the youth of the church turned the trash that had been scattered around the homeless shelter into ornaments for the tree. And again, the second hour for adults was canceled in order to hear and process people's feelings. There were those who were so angry that they demanded that it be dismantled immediately. They wanted the return of what they counted on for every advent. There were those who were adamant about the fact that they were depressed after looking at that every Sunday. On the fourth Sunday of Advent, following the lighting of the Advent candles, two worship leaders walked to the shopping cart and began preparing it with blankets to become the manger. As a compromise, the homeless shelter was dismantled for Christmas Eve, but the shopping cart was allowed to stay. No one in that church has forgotten that particular advent. We, we can appreciate the dissonance that pushed the community in their waiting. It was a rough four weeks. Luke's gospel presents a story of the powerful and the powerless. This is a story of those who carried the burden of taxes and those who demanded the taxes. 
It's a story that has a backdrop of crowded tenements and refugee displacement and little children who cry themselves to sleep at night because of hunger. To have some understanding of Mary, we have to rid ourselves of our art gallery images where she is draped in elegant blue gowns that could only come from the resources of aristocratic moneyed family. I suspect that the truth was that being pregnant, she needed to get out of town as quickly as possible. She was living in an era where it would have been dangerous to be unmarried and pregnant, for she risked being stoned to death. Young Mary did what women have done for generations. She reached out to a close friend, her friend Elizabeth. She needed her. In the midst of what had to have been a shocking encounter with Gabriel, she needed a safe, intimate place to talk through what she had experienced. She needed someone with heart and a listening ear. She needed someone who could hear her fears that haunted her in the middle of the night. Would Joseph stand by her? Would her family disown her? Would she end up destitute or killed? She wanted to trust Gabriel's words, but had she really heard correctly? Meanwhile, Elizabeth has her own complex story. While Zachariah, her husband, is off at the temple struggling to be understood by the temple crowd, due to his being struck mute by the angel. Elizabeth is home in seclusion, mystified by God's timing. After all her pleas, bargaining, tears of anguish in the early years of her marriage, she is baffled to find herself pregnant while her friends are busy helping to welcome and care for grandchildren. After years of longing for a child, she now wonders if she will have the strength to be up and down for night feedings, let alone have the stamina to chase after a toddler. I suspect there was anger as to why God hadn't addressed her desire in the early years of her marriage when she fasted, tithed, kept the Sabbath, lived a righteous life, while at the same time, she dealt with the over-the-fence accusations of her culture, which decreed that barren women had unresolved sin in their lives. Her life as the wife of priest Zachariah had brought Elizabeth a certain amount of monetary comforts which never healed the wound of infertility. As the months went by, Elizabeth moved deeper and deeper into isolation as she took in the reality of her aged body carrying new life. Communicating with Zachariah was left to those times when she had the energy to play charades. 
at a time when she most needed her husband's assurance, she was forced to rely on her own strength and her own truth. In the unique mystery of this story, there are two women's voices. They are two women who are living into the joy and the loneliness of living out God's call upon their lives. They needed God, and they needed each other. I suspect that they both replayed the opening scene in Elizabeth's kitchen for the rest of their lives. Elizabeth's first words to Mary brought back the promise of the angel. Those words had to have touched Mary like a soothing balm. Why is this permitted me that the mother of my Lord visit me? These words from her own kinfolk, a woman devoted to God. The greeting not only confirmed the pregnancy, but it also confirmed the promise. It confirmed the mystery of the divine truth that she was carrying the promised one. There was an instant knowing between the two women, an instant sense of trust. They know that they had been brought together by God as support for one another as they honored the miracles taking place in both of their lives. They both sense the movement of the spirit as the child leaps in Elizabeth's womb as Mary enters the house pregnant with the Christ child. What we are offered is two unlikely women speaking as prophets. What better time to have support than for Mary in the first trimester of her pregnancy while she struggles with morning sickness, and for Elizabeth in the last trimester of her pregnancy. Both of those time periods had their own unique challenges, both physically and psychologically. Mary and Elizabeth are waiting with a sense of promise. There is strength in their shared waiting. It is the promise that allows them to wait while the Holy One is working in each of their lives. The writer of Luke's Gospel gives Mary the role as spokeswoman for the Anawin, the poor ones. As with every text, we are all invited into the story. One of the gifts of faith communities is the capacity for members to experience or witness the births in others' lives. So who are the people who have been with you in the significant waitings and birthings of your lives? Who have you counted on to listen to your hopes, your dreams, along with your fears. Not all of us have given birth physically, but we have countless stories of many kinds of birthings, finishing educational degrees, 
Degree programs can be experienced as making major shifts in one's life. Spending time in another country, dealing with radically different cultural experiences. Experiencing a health crisis can push folks to shift and change and seek God's invitation within the grief of struggling with health. In August, we said goodbye to beloved Pastor Britt as she was preparing to take on new birthings in her own life. And we are now in the midst of adjusting to the reality that we are again saying goodbye. Goodbye to Administrator Rachel Joy. Yes, we are delighted that she has the opportunity for a new birthing in her life. And grief is part of our shared journey as we anticipate struggling with saying goodbye we will miss her ministry, skills, and abilities in our church office. Just as Zachariah and Mary had an angel at their side saying, do not be afraid. So we too have that same strength to call upon. We have access to that same God. And we need each other in our lives to be the angel-like presence that supports us and offers the words, do not be afraid. When we become an encourager in another's life, we are operating as one who holds the hope for another. When we call up the bus company and help someone figure out how they can get to an AA meeting or get to a job site, we are putting hope in action as we help someone ease their fears. We need God and we need each other to remind us of the power and the promise that is part of birthing. We live in a society that seeks pleasure and happiness, but often doesn't understand that authentic joy is often born out of pain. So what must radically change in our lives in order for our liberation to have a chance to take root? Who stands with us, willing to be a listening, supportive presence while we walk through the fears to embrace God's call on our lives. Do not be afraid, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid, Portland Mennonite Church. We are in the waiting. The birthing is in process. Amen.